Good morning, and the conversation continues this hot WIP day as we ease on into WIP Sunday. And it's going to be a hot Sunday no matter where you are here in the Delaware Valley. So hopefully you can be with us and stay cool as we have good conversation here. And I'm pleased to welcome now for conversation Donald Stinson. He's author of the new book, Downstairs at the White House. He talks about his adventures as a 17-year-old in the West Wing. Good morning, Donald Stinson. Good morning, Peter. Thanks so much for having me on. My pleasure. How did you get into the West Wing at age 17? (laughs) Well, it was an accident. I I have to preface this by saying that I have been accused of living a Forrest Gump kind of life. I I sort of stumbled into things, and and that was the case in 1973 uh, when I went to work there, uh, about a month or so before my 18th birthday. The short version of a long story is that there had been a program that had allowed me to go from my junior year of high school to uh, my freshman year at American University. Um, And so I ended up in Washington at a very young age in the fall of 1972, and I was looking for a job. I mean, you know, back way back in those days, you could still kind of put yourself through college, and um, I needed a job. And I looked high and low, and uh, mostly got doors uh, shut in my face. Finally, I ran into a guy one day uh, in the dorm uh, who said that he had a job that he really didn't want, and it had nothing to do with his major or whatever, but he thought I might be interested, and it was in a place called the Old Executive Office Building. Well, I had absolutely no idea what that was, and, uh, but I went down, and I got the job, and the really embarrassing thing to say is that I really didn't know that I worked in the White House complex for the first couple of days. Somebody had to point that out to me. Uh, but I, I started as a messenger uh, for an assistant uh, to the president for international economic affairs, uh, you know, delivering mail. I was the coffee boy. Um, I, I did a little bit of everything. I worked full-time, and I went to school full-time. And uh, then I ended up, uh, I kind of stumbled my way into a job with Vice President Agnew, uh, answering his mail, reading and answering his mail. And then after a very a kind of a circuitous route through, um, after, after he resigned, uh, through the uh, uh, Department of Health, Education, and Welfare, in which I had to resign in order to get paid, um, I ended in the east wing of the White House, uh, and I worked uh, under Mrs. Nixon um, for, uh, for, for several years. Wow. That's the, my only reaction I can have, because you had a job that a lot of people dream about. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it's funny. Um, I don't think you really – I didn't come to appreciate it until <clears throat> many, many years had passed um, since I had left to understand – Really, truly, the things that I had seen and I had been exposed to, um, I mean, I had the opportunity at a, you know, a terribly young age to be able to um, speak to the president, uh, actually two presidents, and uh, meet a couple of ones that, uh, guys who would become president and, um, and to have all sorts of things. But, you know, I, I, I was, it was a little bit like Dennis the Menace meets Richard Nixon. And what, what I've tried to do in the book is to present um, very poignant stories because I saw some things that literally took my breath away uh, that were so uh, 
emotionally charged in the in the closing days of the Nixon administration and the beginning of the Ford administration. But there's also a lot of funny things that I did that were typical of that any teenager would do. I was just uh, I just had a bigger stage to do it on. Okay. Um, did you have any sense though while it was happening that you had a seeded history? You know, I, I my my dad told me that actually. Um, he, you know, I I was. At that age, I was, uh, and, and, and by the way, I <clears throat> another oddity in this, and, and I talk about it in the book. I actually had a top secret security clearance before I was old enough to vote. Um, my dad had had uh, mentioned to me that you know you you really want to pay attention not just to all the shiny objects <laughs> that are around, but you 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 want to pay attention to what's going on because this is a rare opportunity. And um, he also gave me a philosophy that helped, um, and, and a number of folks have recommended my my, my book, thankfully, uh, to uh, people, uh, high school students, um, because it's very G-rated, and it, it, because there's a philosophy. And, and my dad's my dad's advice was this: he said, "Always remember they can't eat you," which is you know really funny. Um, it's a funny phrase, but what he meant by it was that, you know, you might say things or do things that will aggravate people or you might even embarrass yourself in some of this. But just remember, at the end of the day, they may do a lot of things to you, but they can't eat you. So go ahead, ask questions, introduce yourself to people and see what happens. And, and I followed that, and, and I'm, I'm very, very glad that I did. Tell me about the time you met the president. Well, um, I met the president a number of times. I used to um, see him yeah, with some regularity, um, not not as not as much as people might think. I mean, you know, the funny thing is about the the White House proper, the 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 building that you see on TV with the from the West Wing to the East Wing and the and the and the family's residence really isn't that big. Uh, but, you know, I was busy delivering mail and doing other, you know, things that were critical to national security. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, and, and he, you know, was working or out of town or one thing or another, so I didn't see him all that often. But here's one thing that I did do, and this happened in the uh, spring of 1974. What I used to do is I would come in every morning through the, the West Wing um, of the White House, and I would walk down past the Oval Office and down the, through the Rose Garden. And the reason I did that was because sometimes if I got really lucky, um, in the morning I would, um, pardon me, <clears throat> I would pass by President Nixon on his way to the Oval Office and I could say, good morning, Mr. President, and that would just make my whole day. And by the way, one of the weird things about those days was I walked into the White House every day and passed the president often with a briefcase that had my schoolwork in it. But it was never checked. It was never x-rayed. Back in those days, security was a whole different kind of issue. than it is. That would never happen today. But I, I, So this one morning, I, I was walking down, and I, instead of my briefcase, I had a book. And the book had something on the cover about Theodore Roosevelt, and I was reading for a class. And the president... Um, stop me. Now, what I'd like to do is I'd like to say that we had a conversation. I think the truth of the matter is, is that he wanted to talk to somebody about something other than Watergate, and I happened to be the closest thing with a pulse. Um, 
but he stopped me. He said, you know, what What are you reading? And and I explained to him what I, I was doing as my knees were shaking. And Peter, he went on for, I don't really know how long it was. It could have been five minutes. It could have been 15. I, I don't know. And and he just, he, he, he spoke about Theodore Roosevelt, who, he, he was a big TR fan. And, uh, and that conversation ended up leading into discussions about Winston Churchill and similarities between Roosevelt, uh, Teddy Roosevelt and, and Winston Churchill. And, um, and I, I have to say that, you know, here's, here's, here's the funny thing with this, and I, I've been extraordinarily fortunate in my Forrest Gump kind of life to have, uh, have had conversations with a number of, of presidents, but I never met anybody um, who had the kind of voltage that Richard Nixon did. Um, I mean, th- he made a lot of huge errors. Um, th- there were things that were handled very, very, very badly. But <clears throat> he was clearly a brilliant man, and you could feel that uh, very much at close range. It was uh, an experience. I had to go sit down afterwards. <laughs> so <laughs> it was, it was, that was quite an experience. Um, there was another time. Uh, when uh, when I <clears throat> was working for uh, Mrs. Nixon's press secretary uh, uh, for a little while, um, and we all went out onto the South Lawn uh, to bid uh, the president and Mrs. Nixon farewell. Actually, Mrs. Nixon was going to, this was March of 74, uh, Mrs. Nixon was going to uh, South America as a goodwill ambassador. And so we had signs and all this kind of stuff. There's a picture of this in, in, in the book. Um, and uh, I was standing at the very end of, of this line. Um, I was, you know, when I was a kid, I was kind of oblivious to things. I didn't realize that I was walking actually so slowly out there that Nixon was right behind me. And I got into the line, and um, right as they were leaving uh, to get on the helicopter, uh, the president stopped, and he pointed at me, kind of like in my knees or something, and I really didn't know what it was, but at least I, at that point I had learned not to be so gauche as to um, ask, you know, like, hey, what do you mean? And I had no idea, and they got in the helicopter, and we went back into the White House, and as I turned, uh, I ended up <clears throat> flat on my face uh, on, on the South Lawn, and, and I realized what the president was trying to tell me, and he, he was trying to say, your shoelaces are untied. <laughs> Okay, an encounter with history once again. There you go. Um, but, you know, he, I guess, you know, if there's a lesson in, in, in a lot of this, and, and particularly for younger people, um, it's that, you know, none of these folks are the cardboard characters that they're made out to be. Some are far better, some are far worse. Um, but they are rarely, um, they're rarely what you think. And I, and I have to say that the Nixon family, they were kind, um, personable people, which runs afoul of many things that folks have read about them. The Fords were uh, as much so, if not uh, more, charming and nice and considerate. I'll tell you one of the things that the, the Nixons um, and the Fords later on, but the Nixons really, they insisted on, and that was that the staff, particularly those of us who were at the bottom of the food chain like me, um, had an opportunity to take advantage of some of the things, the rare things that you would see at the White House. 
And I remember one day I, I, I was told to hurry up and get in this line, and we went to the East Room. And we walked in, and there's all, all these musical instruments and all these people standing around, and I kind of got uh, shoved up towards the front. And, I, you know, a lot of people don't like to sit in the front. Me, I, I'll always sit in the front. And uh, all of a sudden, come walking out is, is Frank Sinatra. He was uh, doing a rehearsal for a dinner uh, that night that was uh, honoring the uh, Prime Minister of Italy. Uh, and, and so he was, they were doing a rehearsal. And <clears throat> I, I, have to, I have to, and I relate this, uh, this and a lot of other stories about it in, in the book, but um, he sang, one of the songs that he sang was Old Man River. If you've never heard that, um, it's, it is well worth anyone's time to go back and listen to a recording of it. Um, I have rarely been so touched in my life. And I can, I can tell you that his boy, I mean, I was, I was only maybe, you know, 10 or 15 feet away from him, if that, that literally the floor of the East Room shook from the vibrations of his voice. It, it, was, it was incredible. Anyway, when he, when he was done, uh, and people started to break up. Um, I heard uh, him ask for a glass of water, and one of the guys in his um, uh, entourage went to get him one. I was faster, <laughs> younger and faster. So I just thought, well, I'll go get it. So I ran over, and, and I got it. And he and I ended up sitting on the uh, piano bench uh, where I proceeded to pour ice water down his sock uh, because my hands were shaking. I was so nervous. <laughs> So nervous. And how did you take that? Well, you know, I, I'm I'm still alive to talk about it today. <laughs> Lucky it boy. <laughs> he took he took it quite well. It, actually, he really did. And it, it, so, you know, we're we're. He continued to talk to me, believe it or not. And and I said something about his daughter Nancy Sinatra, who you know had this big hit. Your these boots are made for walking. Back in the day, she was she was a real babe. And uh, I said something about it. And he turns to me, and he kind of ruffles my hair, and he goes, I like you, kid. He goes, I'll tell you what. You come out to Vegas and come see me sometime. Well, you know, that would be a nice thing to say, except I actually took him seriously. <laughs> and I remember going back and, <clears throat> you know, hurriedly trying to figure out how I, how, you know, how I could afford uh, a flight to Las Vegas to go hang out with the chairman of the board. And um, uh, and found out that that that, that just a ticket alone was about twenty times what I had in my checking account, so that never worked out. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. Certainly, <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. And you're listening to WIP Sunday here on 94 WIP All Sports Radio. We're having a fun time with Donald Stinson. He's author of the new book Downstairs at the White House: A Young College Student Working in the White House. An amazing story. We'll be back after these messages. And we're back. It's WIP Sunday. This Sunday we're ce celebrating Donald Stinson, author of the new book, Downstairs at the White House, a young man, college student, working in the White House, all for the grand salary of $2.95 an hour. <laughs> McDonald's hey, those money. Were, those, were righteous, those were righteous bucks in those days, let oh, me I'm tell sure. you. I'm sure. All right, I got to ask about one more star before we get back to the politics. Sure, Frank Sinatra. Not, I'm sorry, not Frank Sinatra, Bob Hope. Yeah. <laughs> well, 
That was another another very gracious man with a with a very weird twist to it. Um, I, I actually I start the book talking about uh, Palm Springs, California, where uh, I was in the newspaper business um, most all of my career, and uh, I worked for the, the the daily newspaper in Palm Springs. And and one day I went to a luncheon uh, that was held. Uh, uh, that was honoring Bob and Dolores Hope for their service to the community. They had lived in Palm Springs for a, a very long time. And when when it was over, um, I went up to him and uh, introduced myself, and I said, you know, we, we had met, uh, not not that you'd remember me, but but we had met back in, in 1973. A, a friend of mine and I had gotten tickets to uh, a couple of inaugural events and um, and I, I had uh, met him uh, at that and and he looked at me and and he said <laughs> he goes you're the guy I said I'm, I'm sorry he goes you're the guy he goes I said I, I'm surprised that you remember me from these circumstances and he said son we've been laughing about you for the last 15 years and what had happened was this: um, we, had, we, my friend Mark and I, had taken dates to um, this one event, and largely in part because there was free food. And uh, so, at one point, my date, who was a very extremely lovely young woman, saw Bob Hope and Charlton Heston across the side of the room, um, and. She said, oh, my God, my mom and I are the biggest fans of Bob Hope and Charlton Heston, and we just, you know, we love them. And so me, you know, taking my father's advice, they can't eat you. I said, well, hey, I'll go over and, you know, we'll introduce ourselves. And she goes, no, I, I couldn't go do that. I said, okay, I'll go get them. So I'm walking across the room, uh, scared as Dickens, not having any idea what I was doing. And I went over and... I ended up eavesdropping on a little bit of a conversation in which Hope was saying to, to Charlton Heston that, that that was going to be his, that the UF, USO tour that he had just finished in Vietnam was going to be the last one that he was going to do in Vietnam because the war was winding down. And so I went up to him and I said, hey, um, you know, guys, maybe you could help me out here. I said something to that effect. And uh, I said, I have this beautiful girl that came with me to this, and she just thinks you guys are the greatest things in the world. And they looked at each other, and they looked at me, and they said, okay, we'll come over and meet her. So I end up walking across the room with uh, Mr. Hope and Mr. Heston uh, in tow. And as we got close to, um, to my date, she looked, and, and she kind of looked again, and then she proceeded to faint. <laughs> the poor thing. But uh, Hope and, and Heston were extraordinary gentlemen, and they signed everything um, that would take ink uh, as autographs for her and everything else. And and then the funny thing was all these years later, so I guess it was 1989, so almost 16 years later, um, they, they were still laughing about me and wondering what had happened. <laughs> That's said, a wonderful story, too. Yeah. All right. Back to politics. Yeah. As you were around the Nixon White House, did you have any sense that the White House was metaphorically collapsing? Well, you know, um, 
First of all, you know, the, the White House is, at least it was in that day, and I'm sure that it's absolutely no different today, it is an office building. And it is a place where um, it's no different than any other offices anywhere else. And people talk and people have emotions and all of those kinds of things. And, um, I, you know, I, I, like everyone else in Washington, I could not wait every morning to turn on my black and white TV or get the Washington Post or the Washington Star in the afternoon to read what had happened next. And in some cases, these things were happening, you know, that you, you, you didn't know about, um, but you realized that, that they happened, you know, 50 feet away from you. Um, what you could do as, as time went on, and as I reflect on it, um, is that you could feel the tension in the place. It was in the air. Um, a lot of these folks um, who worked there had given their professional lives to Richard Nixon, and now they were seeing all of this coming to an end and, and, and collapsing. And, uh, you know, there were, there were a lot of people, there were, <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> um, there, there, were, uh, uh, there were large contingents of people who went to a, um, a, a, a restaurant bar down the street every night. Um, and it, 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 was, it, was, it was very bad, a lot of tears and other kinds of things. And the closer that you got towards um, August the 8th, the, the day that he went on national television to announce that uh, he was going to resign, I mean, it, the place was a mess. Um, you know, there were, I mean, there was a lot of stuff that was going on that, um, you, uh, as I said, you, you'd read about or see on television or, 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 or see some kind of a report and realize, oh, my gosh, that's what it was that was going on in a certain office or a certain place at times. And uh, very tense, very tense indeed, as you might imagine. No sign, though, of Nixon wandering the halls talking to the portraits. Oh, no, no, nothing. <laughs> certainly nothing that I saw. And I always questioned that story from Woodward and Bernstein. I don't know who they got that from, but um, the, the but no, I I didn't see any of those kinds of things at all. It had to be though very hard to be working in the White House with all that tension and all that fear about what was going to happen. Oh yes, it 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 was. I'll tell you what what did not help. Uh, anyone with it, but it was a great sign of, of America were the protests outside. Um, I gave a, I was fortunate to give a speech fairly recently at, at the uh, Harry Truman Presidential Library, and I related a story about a friend of mine who, it was a fascinating guy, who had been, um, actually had come to the White House with Eisenhower. He was a butler. And we got to be very good friends. And he had a, a fascinating background with Bobby Jones, the golfer, and Ike. And he had been there since uh, he had sort of a permanent job there. And one day he came to get me. This was probably on the 7th or 8th of August of that year. And he came to get me. And he said, Don, come upstairs with me. And he didn't tell me what we were doing. And we went up the, the stairs um, to the and went to the East Room. Um, the same kind of path that tourists take uh, through there, and we went up to the to the to the one of the big window by the door, and um, outside you could hear car horns blaring because back in those days a lot of people had bumper stickers that said "Honk if he should be impeached" or "Honk if he should resign" or one thing or another, 
And one thing I can guarantee you, you can you could hear you could hear all of that inside the White House. And so yesterday, when there were demonstrations in Washington, um, you I guarantee you, people in, inside heard. They could hear it all. Um, and I and I turned to my friend. His name was Fred. And, and I I said to Fred, Why did you bring me here? And he said he go he said you're going to remember this the rest of your life, which he was right about. And he said, look at this, because this is what democracy looks like. And uh, it was, a, it was a, a, a wild, wild scene. Actually, you know, the stuff in front of the White House went on for a long time. And actually, <laughs> in, a, in a weird way, it kind of turned into a party for a lot of people. Friends of mine and I went out and wandered through it. Um, one night, and um, it was it was very interesting because there were you know hippies as what were called back in those days, uh, hanging around with you know uh, parents with a couple of children out there demonstrating and doing all those kinds of things. It was it was a circus. It looked a little like a tale of two cities, um, it, it, but you know you'd you'd have to sometimes wade through those crowds. I got I got. Somebody threw a rock and hit me in the back uh, one day. Somebody really wasn't happy. Uh, and, uh, uh, yeah, it was very tense, very tense indeed. I'd like to know more about the women in the, at the White House, um, Mrs. Nixon, Trisha, and... Um, Julie? Yeah, Joy, sorry. Um, Mind blank there. The... Uh, I never met Trisha actually, um, because I think she lived in New York um, and was there most of the time. Um, Mrs. Nixon was uh, different than she was made out to be in many corners. Um, she was absolutely lovely. Um, I <laughs> one day I was walking from the West Wing back to the East Wing, where I was in this little tiny cubbyhole office in the basement, and which is why it's called downstairs at the White House. And uh, it was really downstairs. And I, I was walking through the residence, um, and there's an elevator um, where that goes up to the family floor. And there was a woman there with a scarf on her head and, and such. And, I, and, and this voice came out and said, hey, kiddo. And I just looked back, and I went, hiya, kiddo. And when I got back, uh, to the East Wing, it wasn't very long thereafter that uh, one of my bosses was all over me going, how dare you call the First Lady that? You don't ever do anything like that. And I go, like, I didn't know that was the First Lady. I had no idea. And so I figured I was going to get fired. And a, a day or so went by. I was nervous and sweating and everything else. And, and then uh, uh, the, my, my boss who at that time, who was the First Lady's press secretary uh, said to me one day, I was outside her office, and she said, come here, and hands me the phone. And it was Mrs. Nixon. And she wanted to let me know that I had done nothing wrong, <laughs> and that everything was fine, and nobody was going to fire me. And we had this lovely, very nice conversation. She was just delightful. Very, very, very nice. Um, and, and and so was Julie. I... I um, I had been the White House Easter Bunny uh, for about. I was actually technically Peter. I was the backup White House Easter Bunny, 
um, which I, I do recommend that story if you're having a bad day. Is, is, read about that, because I, I had a worse day <laughs> doing that. Um, and, I, I, you know, I, I was out there. I, there's, a, there's a photograph that's in the book. It could be of me in the bunny suit with Julie. I don't know um, it, it, exactly. But um, she was very nice. And her husband, David, um, I got to know um, David um, he had a little group that uh, I got involved with sometimes that played a baseball game. It, it, they were, there were cards that were involved with it. I think he rolled the dice or whatever. And he was very nice. I mean, these were lovely. They really were very, very lovely and down-to-earth people. If this is not a fair question, tell me. You see some parallels between what you experienced then in the White House and what's going on now? Hmm. Um, I, 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 I think it's a fair question, uh, and, and the answer is uh, only vaguely. Um, the, you know, what, what, Nixon, what President Nixon did was on a fairly limited scale, uh, when you look at it. Um, and you look at it from a distance, and particularly with time having passed, um, there was obstruction of justice. That was very clear. That was in the tape. Um, but there was there were no overtones of any of the things, frankly, that we're looking at now, which which you know could could range depending on how the investigation goes to, uh, you know. Uh, Consorting with a foreign power, um, money laundering, all of this kind of stuff that is far beyond what Watergate was. So, um, you know, in the end, the proof will be in the pudding and seeing what happens um, as the Mueller investigation concludes and and all of these other things happen. But I I think these are two very different animals. They're easy to, to conflate. Uh, because it's a president who is is uh, may may have done things that that are uh, illegal, but I think they're very, very very different natures. Well, you also though described the White House under siege in some respects by demonstrators outside the four walls. Yes, yes. Um, you know, I think that people and again, I was very young, and I, so I can only I can only judge this in looking back uh, as a now as a sixty three year old. But um, you know, I, there's a siege mentality at a certain point, I think, and and you know, probably in many ways, uh, the people who are in the White House now have banded together, um, similar to the way that I think the people in the Nixon White House did, in in a way of them versus us, um, which is an understandable human kind of reaction if, if that's what's occurred. Um, uh, but um, I. I, I I have to say, outside of having the experience from a historical standpoint, because there might be somebody who had a, has a job that's kind of similar to what I had, although I, I doubt exactly anymore because of technology. But, you know, there may be somebody else there who's a young person who will write a book about what it was like to be inside this White House um, and, and give some explanation to that. And you're listening to WIP Sunday here on 94 WIP. We'll be right back with more adventures of Don Stinson's <laughs> adventures in the White House. The WIP time 
736. And we're back. My guest, Don Stinson, his new book, Downstairs at the White House. My name's Peter Solomon. Don, you mentioned the Ford administration. How long did you work under the Ford White House? I, I guess that was probably about a year and a half or so, something along those lines. I um, eventually needed, uh, actually, to make more money, so I, I went into the newspaper business uh, and, and, and did that while I was uh, completing my college studies. Um, you know, that, that was, I, 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 you know, I relate a lot of things in the, in the book, as I said, not everything is funny. Uh, some things are very moving. One of them um, is, is a way of kind of presenting the story is uh, when we were standing on the South Lawn on the morning of August 9th, 1974, as uh, President Nixon got onto the helicopter and the famous wave and all that. Um, well, first, <laughs> one of the things that, that went on, there was a lot of denial <laughs> and there was a there was a woman standing with me and, and a couple of my friends. We had never met before, never saw her before, and and um, she she started all of a sudden saying, um, "You know he's coming back." I mean, this is the helicopter is in the air and it's kind of disappeared behind the Washington Monument on its way to Andrews Air Force Base, and she's going. Uh, he'll be back. You know, he's been through rough times before, and what he's going to do, they're going to turn this helicopter around and come back, and he's going to have all this information that the press never knew, and everybody's going to forgive him, and everything's going to be great. And she went on with this for, for quite some time, and uh, I, I was just glad she didn't have any sharp items or anything with it because she, there was obviously there were a couple of holes in her canoe at that point. But there were, we're standing, as we're standing there, I, I, I looked over, um, I was not that far from where President and Mrs. Ford were, and um, one of the things that were very was very sobering in all of that, which is kind of a circus environment, was seeing the military officer standing directly behind Vice President Ford, and he was carrying the football, the nuclear codes, uh, because at noon. I think it was at noon Eastern time, uh, President Nixon ceased being president. And um, President Ford, would, or Vice President Ford at that moment, would have become president under the 25th Amendment, as I understand whether he had taken the oath of office or not. And the, the nuclear codes did not go with President Nixon. And that, that was just very sobering to see. You know, that was still during the Cold War. And... Um, uh, you saw the very directly. You saw that transfer of huge power and responsibility. Um, the Fords again. They were very nice people. Uh, lovely, lovely folks. Um, I had um, <laughs> they they threw a picnic. Uh, I guess it was probably in late August, early September of that year. Um, a picnic for the White House staff. And it was on the South Lawn, and they had hot dogs and all these kinds of things. And it was kind of a, you know, um, we're here, we're the new residents, and this is something, they, as, as I recall, they paid for themselves out of their own pocket. And uh, so uh, President, President Ford had a reputation of being just this really nice, down-to-earth guy. And um, so it's, I, I was late. And coming to this thing, and, and I was heading out through this uh, door that leads out of the, the east wing, 
and he was coming back in um, to go back to work. And but he stopped me, and 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 I and, and I introduced myself to him and, and all that. And so and I was a messenger then. And and he said, so how do you like being a, a White House messenger? And I said, well, Mr. President, you know, I I, I kind of like it. It's it's a good job, and I go to college and all that. And all that. <laughs> Typical me with my mouth. And then I, I looked at him and I said, so how do you like being president? <laughs> And and he said, you yeah, know, not a bad job. It's okay. And then, you know, we went on our separate and 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 respective uh, ways. He he went off to run uh, the uh, the 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 affairs of the of the most powerful nation on earth. And and I went looking for potato salad. And we we went on from there. But um, I also had a run in with him. Um, at, uh, actually, on the day before Nixon resigned on August eighth, um, I had been sent over to deliver something to the to the old executive office building and uh this was around noon that day and um i i like most teenagers and those that you know i walked way too fast i, I didn't necessarily pay attention to a lot of time it was a real goofball and as i get to these stairs that are in the in the west wing um I go tearing around them, and because of the difference in elevation, I end up nose-to-nose with then-Vice President Ford, who happened to be, although I didn't know it at the time, on his way to see President Nixon so that the president could tell him that he was resigning and that Ford would become president of the United States the next day. Obviously a very sobering meeting. What do I say to Vice President Ford? I said, excuse me, Mr. President. And I got in a lot of trouble for that one too, because somebody heard that, and they just they tore me limb to limb, and uh, that it was disrespectful and everything else. In fact, somebody said it kind of goes with the denial thing. They said, you know, come on Monday, they, the, the 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 Nixons or whatever, they're going to fire you for that. And it's like, you know, there is no Monday for the Nixon administration. This is it. I'm and, surprised. And the end. So, but. Um, uh, so I had I had uh, I had run-ins from time to time that were very nice, and in fact I leave you. If uh, uh, in the book I talk about a very interesting kind of uh, situation that I had with President Ford in in the Oval Office, um, that I will leave as a cliffhanger uh, for everyone. Luckily, fortunately, the the book has. Um, Actually, to my surprise, has become a bestseller on Amazon in uh, political humor and in young adult biographies. So um, I hope everyone will find it interesting. I'm surprised when you called Mr. Ford president before his time that someone said, who told? Who told you? What do you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think everybody pretty much knew at that point. Um, and um, in fact, later that that night, that same day, um, a friend of mine who um, he worked for the National Security Council, and, and they sent a note around that said all uh, that all uh, unnecessary personnel should leave at five o'clock. Well, he and I decided that we were far from unnecessary. In fact, maybe we were the most necessary people there. I mean, there was no way we were leaving on, on the night that Nixon was addressing the country. And uh, uh, so at one point that evening, I was walking to the West Wing, and I got commandeered into um, helping take the uh, uh, furniture out of the Oval Office. Um, 
because back in those days, you know, the cameras were huge. And um, you couldn't have all this furniture around, and uh, all the equipment, everything was gigantic. And um, I ended up actually taking out the chair um, that Ford sat in when he heard from Nixon that he was going to become president, which always gave me a little bit of a goosebump. But um, later that night, uh, my friend and I, we snuck uh, – well, after 5 o'clock, we snuck into uh, around. You went through the carpenter shop and the plumber's shop and all these different areas inside the bowels of the White House to the press room where we that had been built over a swimming pool that FDR had, had put in. And we went down to the bottom of this pool where uh, some folks will remember columnist Art Buckwald, who was the humor columnist. I can still see him sitting there with these Japanese journalists. And he, whatever he was saying, he was just cracking them up. And then we eventually went upstairs uh, to the to the main room that you see on television. It didn't look like it does now, uh, where they give White House briefings. But um, we went up there, and there was a, a TV, uh, you know, one of the old boxy TVs up there with tons of reporters sitting around. And what did my friend say? He says uh, about this is about maybe 30 seconds before Nixon goes on the air, and the uh, they're showing the outside of the White House, and and what. He says, "Is uh, oh, he's not going to resign." <laughs> All of a sudden, Peter, the lights go on. Uh, Connie Chung, um, who I had a huge crush on, she <laughs> stuck a microphone in my face, like because they could see that their badges. They they said press. Uh, my friend said NSC for National Security Council, and mine said WHS for White House staff. And uh, I just kept going, hey, my friend's an idiot. <laughs> this isn't really happening. No, 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 no. He's just a joker. You know, that was a, it was a very funny episode. So, Did you have any sense, though, of the history of the building? I mean, it's been there forever. It's furniture, the people who lived there who came before you, the ghosts yeah. wandering the halls. Well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, and I, I, am a, I was born a history nut. And so I soaked, the, I soaked that up. I... I the every story that I could hear, and, and particularly this friend of mine who had had, had come with uh, Ike, uh, who knew a lot of very interesting history, what was fairly modern at that time, uh, told me where you know there were conversations between JFK and RFK about the Cuban Missile Crisis, and took me through lots of different kinds of places where. Uh, Lyndon Johnson gave people what was known as the Johnson treatment when he'd get real close up into their face to, uh, to talk to them to get what he wanted. Um, but I, I remember one day they were scraping uh, paint off of part of the, the front of the building, of the residence, um, and you could you know, just stand there and imagine that some of these layers of paint went back to Lincoln. And because, you know, the White House had been gutted in, in uh, 1950 uh, while Truman was president uh, because it had become a hazard uh, because it was so old and, and really hadn't been taken all that good care of. And, um, but the exterior was still the same. And, uh, and, you know, you just kind of think, my gosh, you know, and you could put your hand on it. And th th this might have been done when Lincoln was president. I did see one of the areas inside the building where, that someone had preserved that showed scorch marks from when the British burned the White House in the War of 1812. Mm. And, I mean, that stuff just, you know, 
I, I, I'm very fortunate the fact that, that my, my parents had built a sense of history with me because I, I really, I mean, I was, I was blown away. I'm still blown away by those kinds of things. And one, and, um, and one final question. When I was younger, I remember a TV series upstairs at the White House mm-hmm. about Lillian Parks, one of the maids. Right. Do you ever have any vision about downstairs at the White House turning into something for the TV? Uh, you know, I'm, <laughs> let me let, let me explain to anyone who may be listening. I am so open to that. <laughs> a movie, you know, uh, my son's an actor. He could play me. I mean, it would be great. That was a wonderful series back in the 70s. It really, extremely well done. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, my, uh, uh, just, just go to, uh, www.downstairsatthewhitehouse.com if you want to make a movie and, and uh, send us an email. So <laughs> we'd love it. And it would be a wonderful movie if we can judge anything about Don Stinson, uh, author Downstairs at the White House. It sounds like it was an incredible career. Thank you, Don. Thank you. And it's available on Amazon. It's a bestseller. And you can get it uh, on Kindle for uh, $6. Pretty good. And you've been listening to... WIP Sunday here on 94.94WIP. My name's Peter Solomon. Stay tuned for Sports Talk with Sunny Hill. Thank you to Bill Jackson, this morning's producer, and Tideman Solomon, associate producer. Couldn't do the show without either one of you. Nothing left to say, but please stay cool. Drink lots of water. See you soon.